You know, coming into this year, it was like a preacher's dream. Like you get to preach in a year of 2020, like every prophecy, every prophetic word, every scriptural message, you're like, oh, it's going to be a year of clarity. It's going to be a year of precise vision. We're all going to hear the word of the Lord. And then through the first six months of this year, it's like, what the heck is happening? And so uh, I think I've got some stuff from the Lord about this, and I want to share it this morning. So I'm going to work us through maybe helping us to interpret just a little bit what the Lord has been saying and what all those 2020 vision words were about. Let's pray for a moment, and I'm going to ask the Lord to give us clarity and revelation. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is true, and thank you that Holy Spirit is always leading us into all truth. And even as we've been uh, through many trials at the beginning of this year, you, Lord, you know exactly what you're doing, and we have continued to position our hearts in line with you. And Lord, I'm thanking you right now that you're increasing understanding, increasing revelation to us opening the eyes of our heart so we can see and hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church in this hour. Now, Lord, help me to speak as an oracle. I pray you'd stand here to hold my hand. Let me deliver your word with clarity. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. So, you know, I was um, talking to a few leaders last week, and this point about 2020 and 2020 vision came up, and I, I started making fun of it. I was just mocking it. And just saying, I'm guessing all those prophetic words, all those guys that said it's going to be a year of 2020 vision, they're all going to have to come back and just sort of, you know, go, well, I missed it on that one. And um, this leader said something to me that was, I thought, really profound. And so she said, uh, you know, I was thinking the same thing. But she said, I, as I was considering it and, and dialoguing with a friend, you know, I felt like the Lord really spoke to me about all that 2020 vision. And, uh, and, and she said, I felt like, Instead of it being this year of precision and, and, and seeing, you know, clearly like everybody thought they were going to get greater and greater revelation, uh, you know, prophetic revelation, revelation of the word. She goes, I think it is a year of greater revelation, but it's different than what we thought. And I went, okay, okay. And she said, uh, you know, it's really the Lord removing the veils from our eyes and exposing us so we can see the true state of things. And so whereas we thought maybe it was about getting vision and more encounters and more clarity and all that, yeah, she goes, I think we're getting more clarity, but the more clarity is how greatly in need we really are. How much we need Jesus, how, how, how differently we need to be thinking about the hour we're living, uh, how, how differently we need to be approaching even how we do do, you know, life together as the church, and, and thinking differently about even our nation and the status of our nation. And, and when she said that to me, man, I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit, because just a minute earlier, I'd been sort of going, yeah, 2020 vision, so much for that. And, and, and I thought, you know what, maybe some of those words were just exactly right, but we didn't interpret them right, you know? And coming into the year, I was like holding back, like, I don't want to say 2020 vision because it is, it's like a preacher's dream to be able to have something that lines up as simple as that. And I said, I'm not going to do that. And I thought about what the things the Lord did speak to us at the beginning of the year. I remember Jeff had a message at the end of last year, beginning of this year, talking about if you can't uh, run with the footman, what will happen when the horsemen come? And I thought, man, that was a word. And then I remember he, he did a couple messages on Job persevering through trials. And then I remember at the same time, the Lord was speaking to me out of James 1 about persevering through trials and the essentiality of standing so that we could, we could actually have the wisdom of the Lord when we go through various trials, knowing that it, per, it perfects our faith. And I started looking back at the different words the Lord had given us at the beginning of the year and I realized, man, Lord, you were so kind to us in so many ways. And the messages that you gave us, it really did help us to get ready to stand through challenging times this year. And, and I was thinking about, you know, in, in January, I always kind of try to pray to see if I can get something from the Lord. 
And I, and I didn't have really the 2020 vision word, but I did have this. And, and I even published this in my blog. I, I had the, these four things that I felt the Lord was speaking to me personally. And he said, go low. In other words, humble yourself. Go slow. Don't rush to make a bunch of plans right now. Go low, go slow. He goes, go local. And what I knew he was saying to me through that was tend to your family, your spiritual family, and the extension of your spiritual family in the earth. Us. Tend to us. And he says, and think long. Think long term. Don't think just about what's happening right now. Think five years down the road, ten years down the road. Think about where things are going to be as you move forward in a certain directory, d- direction. Go low, go slow, go local, and go long. And those words have continued to sort of carry my heart like, oh man, this is a time for us to shore up our local environment and our spiritual family and really do it in humility, thinking about the trajectory we're on for the next one, three, five, 10, 20 years. And as I was considering those things, I realized, oh wow, this idea of 2020 vision, he really is trying to help us this year. He really is exposing and opening up things that we didn't see before. And, and you know, I, I, I was thinking about 2020, and, and let's just take a poll, because I took this poll in the prayer room this week, and, and then I, um, I did it in the first service. And, and, you know, 40 or so percent of the people uh, answered, they, they, you know, the, affirmatively. So let me ask you this question. Okay, I know you know 2020 vision means perfect vision. But if, you, if you'd say, I don't know what 2020 stands for. I don't actually know what that, th- those numbers mean. Just raise your hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 30, 40%. So let me, let me give you a science lesson. An optometrist, I'll give you this, anybody that's an eye doctor in here, you're like, dude, that you didn't say it right. It's okay. I'm not going to say it right, but I'll give you the generics. 2020, it's based on something called the Snellen chart. Now, you don't know what that is until I tell you what it is. The Snellen chart is the chart with the big E. Everybody's seen one of these, right? Those eye charts. So the Snellen chart, it basically sets a, a standard, and it says this, that at 20 feet, uh, a person with healthy eyes can see 20 feet away what they should be able to see 20 feet away. So 2020 is you can see at 20 feet what you should be able to see at 20 feet. Now, somebody with 2015, they can see at 20 feet what a normal person can see at 15 feet. So their eyes are a little stronger. Somebody with 2040 vision, they have to be at 20 feet to see what somebody with healthy eyes can see at 40 feet. So that's, you know, not as good. That's uh, somebody who needs corrective lenses. I used to have 2200 vision, which is known as legally blind. Yikes is right. It's known as legally blind. It was so bad that if I didn't have my glasses on and you walked in the room, I couldn't tell who you were, your face was. I have to get right up next to you because it's at uh, 20 feet, I could see what a healthy eye could see at 200 feet. And some of y'all know what that's like. I got LASIK about 10 years ago and I was like, whoa, this is a beautiful world, you know. And so I realized that there's this thing about getting your vision corrected that enables you to see the way you're supposed to see. And when I thought about 2020 and this whole 2020 vision idea, I was like, oh man, this has been a year to correct our vision. You know, our nation is more in need than we thought. You know, culturally, socially, politically, financially, we're more in need than we thought. You know, things seem to be, you know, really just, just fine on the outside. One, you know, inch deep, and the next thing you know, we are in real challenging situations, culturally, socially, financially. I, I, I'm really, I, I just encourage you, pray, because the, the, the wake of the financial wave that has, has built the, the negative thing, it hasn't crashed yet, beloved. And uh, th- the fall of this year may be a really interesting time. And we've been able to help people through our hardship fund. It's been beautiful. You've continued to give, and it's been beautiful. But we're expecting that we're going to continue to have to sow generously 
because of the challenging things happening financially in our nation. And, and here's the deal. I really believe that America has been exposed this year in a way that's unique in virtually all of our lifetimes. Like we've never really seen this. And so we've been talking around these issues. And, and last week I know and the, the week before Dustin was talking about the means of grace and, and talking about our need for one another and, and how we need to be operating in spiritual family. And, and I want to go that direction uh, eventually in this message. But, but the thing that I really felt like the Lord wanted me to bring out was a, a, a passage from Revelation 3. And so I, I want to look at that now. I know some of you right now, as soon as I say Revelation 3, you already know what's in that passage. And a few of you are going, oh, no, not Revelation 3. Because Revelation 3 is the church of, church of Laodicea. <laughs> and you go, oh, no, not the lukewarm. Oh. But in March, I'll tell you this, the Lord... He was speaking Revelation 3, like 14 to 21, kind of that whole passage about Laodicea. He was speaking it to me. And I think I even mentioned it in a message. I know I did in different environments. But that passage, the Lord was just speaking it so tenderly to me. And he was, he was saying it to me in a different tone than I had heard that passage before. And, and, and for me personally, I remember when I was a young guy, and, and, and I don't know about you, but I had to answer about a dozen altar calls before I like I really got saved you know what I'm saying and so I remember this one time this guy preaching this message about being lukewarm and God would vomit you out of his mouth and I was just like scared to death and I think I'd like I was like legitimately saved and I'm like running to the altar please not lukewarm anything but lukewarm God and so I remember kind of having a little bit of like a an ouch on this passage but man, when you read this and you actually see what Jesus is saying in this passage, hear me, it is so tender. It's so gentle and kind. And so I want to just pull out a few things from Revelation 3. And, and, and just so you hear me correctly, I'm not sitting here standing up here going, uh, you know what, Newbridge, IHOP, we're just lukewarm, all of us. I'm not, I'm not doing that. But I do think there's areas in all of our lives that we can get a little bit more hungry and passionate for Jesus. Could we say an amen? And I do think that what Jesus said to the church at Laodicea, it really does apply to the church across the Western world especially. And when we look at these things, I think you'll see it's a, it's a pretty strong word for the, for the church in our nation and the church in the West. All right, let's look at Revelation 3, verse 15. We'll just go 15 to 19. He says this, he says, I know your works. I know your works. You know, I just want to mention this. So often people excuse their works. And Jesus, when he talks to the churches in the book of Revelation, he doesn't ever say, I know your heart. People say that to me. They've, they've said that to me for years. Well, God knows my heart. To excuse sinful behavior. But when Jesus shows up, he goes, I know your works. Don't, don't say, I know, I know your heart. I, I know your works because your works, they evidence what's in your heart. And he shows up to them and he's, he's, he's pointing it out. And, you know, sometimes we don't like people that come, you know, confront us. They kind of bring the truth to bear upon us. Jesus doesn't play politics. Do you know what I'm saying? He doesn't tap dance around people. He just comes straight. He just goes, hey, listen, I actually know all of your works. And he says, you're neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. That is such strong language. And Jesus is such an amazing teacher. When you actually study the letters to the churches in the book of Revelation, you find out this, that he uses uh, uh, an emblem like this. He uses a, a, a figure like this in each of the churches that speaks directly to their situation. In Laodicea, they had created an aqueduct system that actually was feeding the city with water that came from hot underground springs. But when the, those hot springs, by the time it would travel through the aqueduct, it would get to the city and it wouldn't be hot anymore. It would be lukewarm. It wasn't cold and refreshing. It wasn't hot 
for, for cleansing. It was just lukewarm. And so he's speaking to them in a way that directly addresses their actuality. And he uses an example that's their exact state. He says, uh, you're like that water, guys. You're just like it. He goes, you're not hot or cold. He goes, I wish you were one or the other, but because you're not, he goes, I'll vomit you. I'll spit you out of my mouth. Verse 17. Now look at this. This is kind of where the, to me, where the, the focus is supposed to be in this passage. He goes, because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. Because you say, I'm rich, I'm wealthy, and I have need of nothing. And this phrase, and you do not know. You do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You do not know. I've become fond of this leadership saying that it says the most dangerous person is one that doesn't know that he doesn't know. Do you know what I'm saying? The one that doesn't know that he doesn't know, he's just walking around oblivious, blind spots everywhere. That's the most dangerous person. I don't want to be that person. Come on. I want, if I don't know something, I want to know that I don't know it so that I can at least address what I don't know. That, that idea that if you're ignorant, it's just ignorance is bliss. No, ignorance is destruction. My people perish for lack of knowledge. The, uh, you don't know and you don't want to know that you don't know, that is absolute deception and that's a fool's journey. Amen. And, and so this is their problem. And it's not just they don't know what's wrong. They're actually so outside of reality that they believe the exact opposite than what's true. What a shocking state of affairs. And, and I just think about America, man. When you think about America, the richest, most wealthy nation in the earth, and tr 20 plus trillion dollars in debt. Do you want to know or do you want to know? Do you know what I'm saying? It's like there is such... Uh, there is such, so many fractures in the foundation of the nation. Our nation needs Jesus. Right and left, top to bottom, we need Jesus. And the Lord is helping us to see it. He's showing it to us. And, and not because he's mean. He's showing it to us because he cares. And so this challenge of living in, in self-imposed deception, man, it's something that we just have to dispense with right now. Living blissfully in ignorance, sort of just propped up by, you know, social conversations and, and, and you know, just completely sort of in debt spiritually, naturally, and in socially, and in every way. This is no way to live. And this is what Jesus is saying to the church of Laodicea. He goes, guys, you don't know it, but you need to know it. And then the question is, do you want to know? Do you want to know the real state of affairs? And, and I remember, I, I don't know if you had this experience, but I remember when I was first coming into the things of God and uh, people were sharing the gospel with me. And I remember when the, the first time somebody said, if you died tonight, would you go to heaven or hell? And I said, I think I'd go to hell. And, and the guy said, that's right, because you don't know Jesus. Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. And I remember that light hitting me, that just that truth hitting me. And there was this inclination in my heart where I was like, I didn't want to know that. I just wanted to stay happy in my sin. I wanted to stay asleep. I didn't want to feel this, this weight of spiritual pressure. I just wanted to just go back to bed. Beloved, do you know right now, as we're emerging out of quarantine, there's a whole bunch of people just trying to go back to bed? Hey, come on now. And it is not the hour for the church to go back to sleep. This is not the hour. This is the hour for us to take real inventory. We've been talking about this for months now. But to really take inventory and think about your perspective six months ago and what your perspective is today. 
to think about life practices six months ago and what they need to be moving forward. And we've been emphasizing this. But, you know, things look different to me today than they did six months ago. I value value our spiritual family more today than I did six months ago. Because just seeing your faces right now is such a refreshing thing to my own soul. All the extroverts are like, praise God, quarantine's over. All the introverts are like, "Mm, just keep that social distancing. We might just keep that for good, praise God. But, but there's, there's something about the gathering of the redeemed that you can't get any other way. I, I'm convinced live streams, you know, internet streams, they're not the wave of the future. They're only a supplement. The Bible's very clear as you see the day approaching, like Dustin preached a couple weeks ago, you don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together because there's something that happens in the community of the redeemed. Wherever two or more are gathered in my name, Jesus said, I'm in the midst. You can't get that any other way. You can't get that just by watching a video screen. You get that by being with other believers in the place of worship, prayer, faith in the word, sharing and serving. That's where you get that. And so my perspective has changed. And it's not that I didn't value the gathering, but I just gather. I just value the gathering a lot more, and and hopefully that's how it is for you. You know, I was thinking about the underground churches and and, and closed nations of the earth, and um, you know, I've been in those nations. I've been in several of those nations, and you know, there's just a different spirit about the believers when when you talk about going to church. And um, I, I remember uh, one particular situation where I was taken uh, to this church that was, it was probably three or four hours out in the country in, in this one nation. And they don't have any um, uh, Americans ever out this far in the country. And so for me to be there was a sign that, you know, to their government that something shady was probably happening. If I wasn't there with the government, I was there doing something subversive in the mind of that that particular nation. And uh, I remember when we pulled up to the house church, it was kind of a compound. And I remember the look on my translator's face. She, she had been, uh, uh, it was really my, my contact and then my translator, but my contact, she had been pretty jovial, pretty, pretty upbeat. And when we got there, she got this look of straight intensity and like it's go mode. And, and, and the truth of the matter is my, my translator was asleep and my contact was like tapping the translator like, hey, it's time to go. And I'm looking at this, this woman and she's so intense. And we literally had to, we, we had a moment where we, we, the coast was clear. We had to run down this alleyway. Felt like I was in a Jason Bourne movie. I had to run down this alleyway, duck down another alley, and we're running full speed. And we get into this compound, and it's like, okay, we're safe. The door's shut. And I'm like, what is this? And this is how you go to church in an underground nation. And uh, when I got in there, I remember they told me, they said, uh, you're the first Westerner that's been here in 10 years. I was like, what? What? And then they said the name of the guy that had been there before me. And I was like, what? That's the last guy? No way. And inside the compound, there was a sense of safety. But it was, hey, we got to keep our voices down. Let's keep our music down and, and things of that nature. But the thing that I realized about the underground church believers, they value the gathering. They, they, they feel such a, a sense of honor for being able to gather. And they, for them, it's like... A, a bit like life or death. You, you know what I'm saying? Like it, it, we could get arrested and, and some of their friends have been beaten and others have been put to death for being caught worshiping Jesus. These are our brothers and sisters in other nations right now. And so the Lord, he wants us to have that kind of a value for the community of faith. And so it's shifted my perspective. 
It shifted my perspective on social narratives. I haven't been a, a big proponent of the news channels, but I've watched them, in my opinion, use this moment as a time to continue to separate people and pull people apart rather than trying to unite people. There are people that want to be together, but when we continue to have these streams that draw lines, I'll just tell you, when you see lines continually drawn and this side or that side has to be chosen, that is not Jesus. That is the diabolos, the devil, the one who divides. If it's John 17, that they would be one as, as you and I are one, Father, if it's that, then it's Jesus. If it's trying to pull people together under the banner of Christ, then it's Jesus. If it's trying to divide people across cultures, across generations, across political affiliations, if it's that, it ain't Jesus. And I'm not in on it. If it doesn't bring us together, I'm not in on it. And, and so I, I'm really, my ear is acutely tuned trying to hear the Spirit of the Lord, trying to, to flow with what Holy Spirit's doing and saying right now, I know your perspective has changed too. And so when I see Jesus speaking here in Revelation 3, he's actually saying, change your perspective. These things aren't the way you think they are. And that's what 2020, I think, has been. I think 2020 has been Jesus pulling the curtain back on us, exposing us, and so then he comes in verse 18, he says, I'm counseling you. Notice, he doesn't say, I am beating you. He says, I'm counseling you. And he gives us three figures, three metaphors. He goes, I'm counseling you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye self that you, may, that you may see. And I'm gonna break those down in just a minute. But look at verse 19. Just, I want you to feel this from the Lord right now. He said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. And that, when, when I saw that in March, it touched me. Because I went, oh man, it's not the Lord, you know, kind of just pointing that long finger and, judging us and say, you're so lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you, I'm going to vomit you. Know, that's not the emphasis. the emphasis. The emphasis is, I love you. I really love you. And I care about you. And I want to counsel you. And, and if I love you, then I will correct you. He goes, because I don't want you to become the outcome of your deceptions. I don't want you to walk around not knowing that you don't know and then receiving destruction as a result. I don't want you to live in ignorance because I care about you. That's why I'm exposing you. And I feel that tenderness over America right now. I know it doesn't look like it when you look at the news reports, but I feel our, our dear Heavenly Father saying, America, see yourself. Church in America, see yourself right now. You, you have to see the true state of things. You need me more than you even know. You think you're rich. You think you're provided for. You think you need nothing. He goes, no, America, you're poor. You're miserable. You're wretched. You're blind. You're naked. Wake up, America. Wake up. And he's saying to the church, wake up. Don't fall back asleep, not because he's mad, because he loves. And oh, beloved, I, I, I don't know how you, you, you think about the Lord, but when, when I realize that his intentions towards me are good, that I'm his kid and he, he, he wants to help, that when he comes, I, I, there's just a shift that's taken place. I used to be afraid of the corrections of the Lord when I was younger, but man, I'm so grateful for the corrections of the Lord right now. When he comes to correct me, I'm so thankful. Thank you, Lord, for not leaving me to myself. Thank you for not leaving me to my own fantasy and my own delusion and my own, you know, insufficiency and my own carnality. Thank you, God, for stepping in front of me and saying, can't go any further. I'm putting a hard stop right now. Thank you, because I know he's doing it, not because he hates me, but because he loves me. And that's what I think he's been doing with us. All right, so these three admonitions, these three metaphors, let's just talk through them real quickly. 
He says, buy gold refined in the fire. Now, when you, when you look at that metaphor, that's a metaphor that's used in the New Testament. First uh, Peter 1, 7, he says, you have a, a precious faith that's been refined like gold in the fire. In James 1, it gives the same kind of thought that when you persevere through trials, your faith is perfected. So this by gold refined in the fire, he's talking about persevering through trials. Now here's the challenge. These months this year have been a trial on everybody. And, and, and here's how I always discern the voice of the enemy. The voice of the enemy always has at the end of it, go ahead and just quit. Just give up. It's not worth it. Just go ahead and give up. Because he's not mostly interested in just making you carnal. He's mostly interested, Satan is mostly interested in getting you to reap the outcome of your carnality. Death. And so, so often with me, he'll come against my mind and he'll start riveting me with thoughts and, and negative things and, and temptations. And I'm fighting it off, fighting it off, and I just feel the weight of it all. But, but then he'll just always overplay his hand. Have you ever noticed Satan loves to overplay his hand? He loves to show all his cards. So he's going, you're terrible. You're the worst. You, you, don't, you don't measure up. You're not good enough. And he's hitting you with all these thoughts. And then finally he goes, just quit. And I go, there you are, devil trying to get me to quit oh now I get it this whole thing wasn't just my emotions wasn't just a, a bad day it wasn't you know maybe I'm maybe I'm depressed this is demonic attack on my mind and your goal is to get me to quit without a vision the people perish 2020 vision didn't go the way you thought it was going to go. Might as well just quit. That's Satan. That's him trying to steal, kill, and destroy. What Jesus says is, you know what? You're still standing. You've, you're buying gold that's been refined. How do I know you're buying it? Because you're here. You're still showing up. You're still listening. You're still believing. You're still praying. You, you know, you're still in the game. It might look weak right now for some people, but you're still in. And, and you've been maybe even in that teeter-tottering moment. Maybe you're even listening right now and thinking, if he doesn't give me a word from the Lord, I'm going to quit. This is your word not to quit. This is the moment that the Lord has brought you to. And he's trying to tell you, don't quit. Because I have gold that's your precious faith that's refined through fire. Everybody wants refined faith. Nobody wants fire. Everybody wants precious faith. Nobody wants the furnace. And that's our biggest challenge, isn't it? We all want maturity. We don't want any growth pains. We don't want to have to go through the difficulty and the challenges. Just, just make me an old mature guy. I used to pray that when I was in my 30s. I, I literally, I swear, I'd be like 33, going through all these hardships of just young man trying to step into the destiny of God. And I go, if I could just be 63 right now, th just take the 30 years of hard knocks, put it in me, make me 63. He goes, that's not how I do. I'm committed. I'm so committed to you. I'm committed even to human processes that help you grow. I'm committed to let you walk through challenges, hardships, difficulties. I'm committed to the little plant that has to press through the soil. <clears throat> little sprout. I'm committed to that process of getting it to press through because in half a second, rain is coming, and if it doesn't press through the soil, it will not have enough girth to stand. He goes, I want you to have gold. And that means you have to persevere. He goes, I'll be with you. And some of you right now, you're still standing, but you're like, Lord, where have you been? He goes, I've been the one that's been holding you up this whole time. And you're like, I didn't feel the power of your right hand upholding me. He goes, because I've been carrying you with my left hand. Sometimes it's the strength of his right hand. Sometimes it's the unseen power of his left hand. 
that just keeps guiding you with grace. This is what the church needs right now, is perseverance through trials. I love to say this. We've said this for years. If you don't quit, you win. Beloved, that is gold refined in the fire. He says, buy white garments. White garments are the righteous actions and works of the saints. Revelation 19 says, it was given to the bride to be arrayed in white garments, which are the righteous works of the saints. And in this season of challenge that so many have gone through, there, I've watched this, I've talked to so many people, the inclination to, to, to just cast off, to just blow off, to just, let's just go get drunk, let's just go get high, let's just go, let's just go blow off and, and get into immorality. I've, I've had so many challenging things with people getting tempted so hard. It's the same thing the enemy's trying to do. He's trying to get you to into the lust so that you'll quit. And I'm watching believers, you know, they say that alcohol sales that first month in our nation was like at an all-time high. And pornography, online pornography, all-time high. And I'm watching believers getting caught in the struggle. Well, well, you know, I mean, God's not, he's not really moving. And, and where is he? And I thought he was faithful. And so they just are getting swept away. But look, you're standing right now. You're standing against the temptations of the enemy. You're standing against the inclinations of your flesh. And when you stand Against that stuff, you say no to unrighteousness, you say yes to righteousness, even when your flesh is on fire, somebody needs to hear this right now, even when your flesh has been on fire and you stand against those inclinations, he says, it's a white garment for you. And some of you, just hear me, you're going to get there with the Lord, he's going to be handing out crowns, and, and he gives the same crown to martyrs that he gives to those that overcome temptations. It's called the crown of life. And he's going to put a crown on your head. When we stand before him, he's going to put a crown on your head. And he's going to put a white garment around you. And he's going to go, this is for 2020. You're going to go, it was tough. He's going to go, you did great. You're like, I was weak. He goes, you made it. And beloved, I'm telling you, there's rewards coming for those of you that have pressed against those unrighteous inclinations in this season and some are maybe even teeter-tottering right now, keep pressing. Keep saying yes to righteousness. Keep saying no to unrighteousness. He says, buy white garments. And then thirdly, the one I really want to land on, he says, anoint your eyes with eye salve. Beloved, this is the, really the point of the message, is that if, if you're thinking, I just want it to go back to normal, I'm telling you, normal isn't coming back. Normal's not coming back, okay? It's not. So what we need is eye salve so we can see, right? And, and so here it is. In, in, in Laodicea, they thought they saw, but what they saw was completely wrong. They needed, they needed their vision corrected so they could see. 2020 is our vision correction moment. So he's saying, now get eye salve. And what is eye salve? It helps the eye to see. It helps it to get healed. Eye salve is the spirit of revelation, okay? It's so that we can see the way he sees, that we can understand the way he understands. You know what I don't need right now? I don't need one more human opinion. I need heaven's opinion. I don't need one more word from the left or the right. I need a word from above. This is where I'm at. And so I'm saying, Jesus, I'm inclining my ear. Release the spirit of revelation on me. And it's twofold. Firstly, it's in the knowledge of you. Beloved, the church has to get fascinated with the man, Christ Jesus. Not with meetings, not with online podcasts, not with YouTube video clips, not, not with the, the new hit Spotify worship song. The church has to get fascinated with the bridegroom. I mean fascinated with him in wonder of him. 
And the only way that we can get in wonder of him is by to drink him in through the word and to process who he is in prayer. That's the only way. There's not a shortcut route. Yes, other messages, my preaching, others, it can help supplement that. But I can't give you myself. You have to go buy it. And the person that you buy it from is Jesus. And you look right at him and you say, Lord, I need to see you in a way that thrills me. I remember when I first got involved in the house of prayer and I had been so propped up on, on meetings and travel and conferences. And now my job was to sit in a room for eight hours straight with my Bible and worship leaders who played the same songs every two hours. And I was dying. I prayed everything I knew to pray in 15 minutes. God bless my wife, bless my kids, bless mom, dad, aunt, uncle. Down the list. Prayer list was done. 15 minutes. I thought, this ha it has to have been three hours. It was 15 minutes. So I started praying for fire. God released fire. Fire, 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 fire. You know, it's hard to pray for fire for seven hours and 45 minutes. I was stuck. And it was in that place, I'm going, oh no, seven hours left. He goes, son, you're bored with me. I go, I travel around the nation preaching revival meetings about you. He goes, yeah, you know a lot about me, but you don't know me. I go, And he started dealing with my own shallowness. Dealing with the fact that I didn't want to spend more than 15 or 20 minutes with him. If he's our favorite person, shouldn't we want to spend as much time as we can with him? Shouldn't we want to drink him in through his word and encounter him through prayer and dialogue? I'm not saying every person has to spend eight hours a day to prove that you love Jesus. But what I am saying is, that we don't know him the way we think we know him. We know about 100 verses. We're used to our Christian calisthenics, our, our online you know, podcast that we listen to, our church meeting now that we get to come back to it, and, and the new, new worship song. But what about Jesus? What about the eyes of fire? What about the face like the sun? What about the hair and the head that's white as snow, white as wool? What about the one who is a pure fire of love and a pure fire of wrath? What, what, what about the one who was and is and is to come? What about the one who is transcendent? What, what about Jesus, the God-man? What about Jesus who has no beginning, born of a virgin? What about Jesus? What about the beauty of Jesus who is, he calls himself the Alpha and the Omega? Have you gotten lost in the mystery of him? Because there's coming a day where we're going to be joined to him. And let me just tell you something. He's not going to marry a stranger. And I had to deal with how much of my spiritual life had been propped up on Christian doings instead of being with Jesus. I salve right now to see the man Christ Jesus. And I salve right now to know the time and the season that we're in in the earth. That we wouldn't be deluded along with the world, imagining everything's going to go back to normal. Man, if we can get a football season, it'll be back to normal. Seriously. There's something happening. There are shakings, ha shakings happening in the earth right now that are portent. They, they are portents. They are signs of what's coming, greater shakings. We're in a moment right now, beloved, where the, the church has to be awake. We need eyes out. Amen. And so these admonitions from Revelation 3, they're the admonitions to us. Persevere through trials and testings. Get gold refined in the fire. Uh, overcome temptations and don't cast off restraint. Get white garments right now. And, and cry out for the spirit of revelation to, to know the times and the seasons that we live in. I want to give you one last verse, Acts chapter 20. I... Uh, Dustin and Jeff and I, in, in like September of 2018, we were trying to plan and strategize what's going to come. And, 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 and man, you know, again, 2020, it was like, yes, we get to be preachers during 2020. It's going to be your 2020 vision. And I go, oh, yeah, Acts 2020. It's the word. Of course, 
we've been through many things since then. But you know what I realized? I think Acts 20.20 is the word. (laughs) Let's just look at this. I want to read these verses, and we'll close with this. It says, when they arrived, this is Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders. He says, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I set foot in the province of Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, with trials that happened to me because of the plots of the Jews. You know that I did not hold back from proclaiming to you anything that would be helpful and from teaching you publicly and from house to house. That 2020 vision, this, this public proclamation and this house to house reality, I believe that's actually something for us right now. But as we're closing, I just want to pull out Five key points in this. I'll go as quickly as I can. First, he says, I was with you in all humility. If there's something the church needs right now, it's to humble herself. Let's quit muscling up and getting into the arguments and getting so filled up on our own opinion. And let's only release the opinion from the word of God. And and most of the time, let's not release the opinion. Let's just pray for God's opinion to become reality in the earth. There's too much wrangling about words. It's almost as if people don't realize that they're going to give an account for social media posts. It's, it's almost as if they don't realize that. Every idle word. Oh man, this is the hour to humble yourself. This is an hour to learn. Culturally learn, socially learn, biblically learn. This is an hour to learn. Secondly, he says, in tears, that's tears and prayers. He's talking about seeing the status of things that was going on in the earth, and instead of getting muscled up in it, being broken and crying out to the Lord, this is an hour for tears and prayers. Beloved, listen, so often, I know you you do this because I do the same thing, that I'll have these inner dialogues. I'll see something, I'll see a post, or I'll see a a thing happening in the public, and I start going, I start making a case in my mind. Oh, yeah, I'm going to tell them that thing is so wrong, that's so off. Or I see somebody act a certain way, I'm like, I'm going to tell them. And God goes, let me ask you something. Have you prayed about that? Have you talked to me about that? Have you asked for my opinion about that? And I go, well, I, no, I've got something to say. He goes, you have nothing to say. He goes, I've got something to say, and I want to talk to you. And I'll go and start dialoguing with the Lord, and the very thing that I was going to drop a hammer and drop judgment on somebody about, the Lord begins to unpack to me a different perspective, and I find myself weeping over the very thing that I was judging. Do you know what I'm talking about? And man, that's what he's calling us to, is tears and prayers, beloved. In light of our social condition, in light of the state of our nation, in light of the state of the church, humility, tears, and prayers. He says, I went through trials and and, and persecutions. This is an hour that the church has gone through some trials. We haven't gone through so many persecutions, a few, but not so many. I'm telling you, there's a day coming probably where the Western church is going to experience persecution like many of our brothers and sisters in other parts of the earth. I know that seems completely crazy right now, but you know what also seemed crazy? Six months ago thinking we wouldn't be able to meet on Sunday mornings. There's shakings that are coming. And so then he says, in light of all that, I held nothing back. Held nothing back. This is an hour to hold nothing back. Nothing back from your heart with the Lord. Nothing back, even in humility, boldly proclaiming truth, standing for truth, living truth. Hold nothing back. And then finally he says he did it publicly and from house to house. You know what I've found right now? There is an openness that people have right now for a smile and a kind word. Have you noticed that? When you go to the store and you see people and they're a little freaky, you know, towards strangers, and then you just smile and they're like just ready for a smile. I've, I'm emboldened because I sense the need that so many people have right now. I'm emboldened to be a gospel witness right now with people. My wife and I were walking in our neighborhood yesterday, and there was this couple, and we were walking this way, and they were walking that way, and I kind of, I saw, I looked over, I'm trying to say hi to everybody, and I look over, and and the guy kind of just glances at me, I go, hey, how's it going? He goes, hey, you know, and so then he walks past, and we walk past, and then we were on like the same track, so we were going to pass each other again, so I see him coming, I was like, that's the guy that smiled real big at me, and I went, hey, he goes, hey, you know, but he was wide open, I was like, man, I, I should just hawk that guy down and say, man, I want to talk to you about Jesus. There's an openness. Be bold right now with your love. 
Be bold right now with your kindness. And then last is this, and this is where I wanted to land us. Acts 20, 20. The church has to learn how to do house to house. I'm, I'm telling you, the big Sunday morning, big event, big, you know, worship concert, conference on Sunday morning as the only thing the church does, that is coming to an end. Hear me. It's coming to an end. The church has to live in family and in discipleship and house to house and really get out of ourselves. We need to get out of our subdivisions and our apartments. Think about those terms, subdivisions and apartments. And we've got to come into community across cultures, across generations. We've got to come into family. The church must become family right now, beloved. And this Acts 2020, boldly in public and house to house, it has to become our new normal. We can't be thinking of ourselves as isolated Lone Rangers. We can't be thinking as Sunday morning is the main and only thing we do. No, no, no. The church has to live in community and in family. And so we're going to be unpacking more of that in the days ahead, talking about our house churches, talking about how we can do this, how we can actually live this way, prayer, spiritual family, bold proclamation, all in humility and love. Amen. Amen and amen. All right, let's stand. It's the weirdest thing. I'm going to get you out before 2 o'clock. 2 o'clock? You still got time to go to the pool, I guess. <clears throat> I used to say, you're going to beat the Baptist to the buffet, but I don't think that's a reality anymore. <laughs> 2 p.m. This is, we're getting ready for supper. That's the southern term for 5 o'clock dinner. Let's pray for a minute. Lord, I know you love us. I know you want to help us. I know you want to deliver us from what we don't know that we don't know. Lord, would you grant us eye salve. Grant us gold refined in the fire. Grant us white garments. Lord, change our perspective. And that Acts 2020, maybe it is 2020 vision, that we learn how to be bold and humble and persevering through trials, proclaiming publicly and really, really learning how to be family from house to house. I believe it's what you have for our spiritual family. Lord, help us to step into the grace that you have for us. Lord, we're grateful for your love, grateful for your leadership. I pray for courage and encouragement to fill the heart of your church right now. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Everybody that agreed said amen. All right. God bless you. Amen. You may be dismissed.